Welcome to Predator Radio, your exclusive podcast channel for everything predator hunting related. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Predator Radio. My name is Jeff Turner, and I'm your host. And today we have a episode on a shooting-specific episode, and we're lucky enough to have John Alden with us. Uh, John was with us uh, a few weeks ago on a uh, a podcast on his experience. Uh, he's got a long background in, in predator hunting, um, but what we did not get into on that episode was he has also a uh, very vast background in shooting, um, PRS shooting, and just brings a lot of a lot of stuff to the table uh, that we can kind of pick his brain. So, John, are you there with us? Yes, sir, Jeff. Pleasure to be here with you again this evening, man. I had a blast talking with you last week. That was a that was a good time talking. Well, we we appreciate it, and uh, and we kind of want to pick your brain again. So, um, I I want to have the listeners a little bit of background, just on who you are, your shooting background, uh, kind of how you got to to where you are doing competitive shooting. Um, I know in the previous episode we covered kind of your predator hunting and that you've been really successful with that but um from my understanding you've, you've made some pretty good strides in the in the competitive shooting world too i personally have very limited knowledge on that so uh i was wondering if you can kind of give us the background on that and and uh and how you got to where you are yes sir not a problem uh well uh as far as shooting goes uh then shooting guns my whole life since I was four years old. Uh, grew up going to the mountains with my uncle, shooting at groundhogs at, uh, all the way out to a thousand yards. And, uh, you know, got some good experience and, and had a good time shooting at them a long time like that or a long ways like that. And, uh, you know, one thing, led to another um uh i fell in love with reloading as well when i was about 16 and uh, started reloading all my ammunition and reloading is you know it's kind of one of those things that's it's either you love it or you hate it and i can't tell you the amount of the guys i meet that hate it but i love it i enjoy chasing every last little bit of accuracy I can get out of a gun. And, uh, you know, one thing just led to another and got into uh, some long-range shooting matches. Uh, I actually went to a place up in Virginia that's pretty well-known for shooting steel because at this point in life, my main experience long-range shooting was deer hunting and groundhog hunting long-range. And, and uh the guns that are used for that are they're kind of cheating in a way. It's a 340 Weatherby neck down to a 30 cal and a cheap burger 185s at 3,500 feet per second, which is Spanish to a lot of guys. But uh, essentially, what that equates to is a it, it, it gives you a lot of room for air. Right. And, um, you know, uh, I went to a place up in Virginia, right outside of Whitfield, where Jason Gross is from, 
a place called Bang Steel, and I'd shot some shooting matches at Paper Target, some F-Class and stuff, and they were fun, but it just, I don't know, it didn't float my boat sitting down prone and just shooting at a Paper Target at a long distance. Uh, and then I experienced shooting some steel at multiple distance uh, through a time cycle, and I like that a lot, and didn't even know about the PRS sport, but uh, the good Lord, man, he just works in mysterious ways, and I shot at Bang still a couple times, and one of those times, I uh, uh, ran into what's now uh, one of my best friends in life, and his name's J.B. Eames, and we just happened to stumble across each other at Bang still and talked and uh jb's also a, a coyote hunter he's not a nighttime coyote hunter he prefers to daytime coyote hunt out west and, mm-hmm. and uh anyhow we met didn't think anything about it i kid you not six months later i'm <clears throat> clearing a lot and grading off a pad for helping my my good buddy cody build a shop and uh i get a random phone call and it was from JB, and I had to think to even remember who he was. But he's like, hey, man, I found this new sport called PRS. I think you'd be interested in it. You should come to one of these matches and try it. And anyhow, man, the, re- the rest is history. <laughs> in the rearview mirror, I-, I fell in love with PRS, and I'm just as addicted to it as I am coyote hunting. It's it's uh awesome sport full of a lot of great guys. That's awesome. So that's kind of the short and sweet of of getting to where i i've been on long range side of it yeah well so building off that when i kind of pick your brain there there's a lot of kind of well, let me back up so this podcast is um, the first season is basically geared towards newer hunters and nighttime hunting <clears throat> so with that being said one of the biggest questions that I see people asking is it's twofold question mainly what caliber should I run and do I want to run a gas gun or a bolt gun so for the Mm -hmm. and and I know that's I think to answer that question properly you have to know a little more about where the person's hunting and you know that type of thing but as a blanket statement can you kind of walk people through the considerations of of those things because like for instance i started absolutely yeah i started with a gas gun 223 and then i fairly quickly switched to a six millimeter bolt gun um i kind of have my reasons for that let me ask you yeah let me ask you this question did you lose a bunch of dogs with that 556 i did so i'm kind of an analytical nerd i track all of my stuff with apps and software and I was not recovering 35%, roughly 35% of the dogs I shot that I could tell through the, through the thermal that I hit them. I was not recovering about three or four out of 10. Now, a lot of people mm-hmm. say poor shot placement, better need to be a better marksman. And that could very well have something to do with it. But, um, I feel like I'm a similar skill level now. And I cannot rem now I, I hunt four or five nights a week. They all kind of blur together. 
but short of uh, a big bull in the pasture that I don't want to mess with or something, I can't think of the last time I've not recovered a dog I've shot. Yes, sir. They pretty much. Well, let me right let me go. Yes, sir. Let me go down this path because man, you have the same exact experiences um, in hunting as you know. I, I don't think that that's just a coincidence. You know, it's not a coincidence. Yes, uh, a lot of people lose dogs with five, five, six, and same thing. A lot of people, you know, oh, it's all about shot placement, this or that. Um, you know, first and foremost. A coyote is a just a freaking beast of an animal. What they can handle, (laughs) what they can handle. I mean, I'll blow their right shoulder completely off, perfect shoulder shot, and that sucker's still dragging across a 300-yard field. I mean, um, this past year in the Eastern, uh, running 243 with hand loads, as my partner is too, and uh, we were on one stand and had two dogs on the ground and then there was a third dog way back to the left and we both transitioned to the third dog and it was about 400 yards out and was going away and we were debating on taking the shot but couldn't exactly take the shot because it was somewhat skylining and anyhow we ended up not taking the shot and like a minute later we pan back to our two dogs that were on the ground and folded up when we shot guess what they're both gone (laughs) and i mean that that's just how how tough they are i mean i've shot a bunch with my 243 and 20 minutes later when i go out to recover them in the field they're still alive and biting at their butt or whatever so did you find those two that ran off during the tournament well you know that's a good point to hit on with the podcast you know when you're in a tournament you don't have time um Well, you do have time to look. You do. It's just you have to weigh your odds, okay? Um, right now, I know I had two solid hits on these dogs, but they made it to the other side of this 300-yard field. Is it smart for me to try to find these dogs, or am I more smart to be inclined to roll the dice and go to the next field and call in another double and kill both them in the same amount of time that I'm going to spend to go try to find these. And so my partner, he was ready. Come on, man, let's go find them, dude. They're, they got to be at the edge of the woods right there. I'm like, brother, you're right. They probably are at the edge of the woods. Call me crazy, but we need to move on because in the amount of time we're going to spend to find these, we could already possibly put two more on the ground and we got to keep moving. So that's just food for thought for competition hunters. Uh, if you, you got a, enough ground to keep chasing them that, that over the competition or whatever. But back to the subject, 223. Um, it's kind of wild because my scenario happened um, a little bit backwards of yours because um, I couldn't night hunt when I got into predator hunting here in North Carolina. I could just daytime hunt and, you know, when I started, I picked out a 223 bolt gun. I was hand loading for it. Loved it. Good, light, accurate gun. I had it, I mean, shooting under a half inch at 100 yards, no problem. It was accurate. I mean, I had confidence in it. I was shooting some uh, Nosler 50 grain 
uh, boat tail, ballistic tips in it, good bullets. I mean, massacred plenty of groundhogs in the mountains with this same setup and shooting groundhogs at 400 yards and watch them blow up. Mm-hmm. And I lost over half my dogs that I shot with that gun during the daytime. I'd make a solid shot on them. They would hit the ground, roll over, and cut four flips and take off running again. <laughs> and so through my experience, uh, I walked away from all those stands with two things. And bear in mind, this is daytime hunting. I walked away with, well, I had that happen, and, and then there was other times where I would shoot, kill one, and he would fold there dead, or he would flip and run off, but it was a double that came in, and the second one was gone faster than I could rack the bolt and get another shot in. So, um, growing up, my first deer hunting rifle was a Remington 700 BDL and 243. I always reloaded for 243, and... I just had a sweet spot in my heart for 243. I love it. I mean, it's a uh, it's a really good all around cartridge. Plenty of knockdown power for deer hunting. A lot of guys, you know, you know, I'm gonna carry the seven millimeter mag, the 300 wind mag. They they overkill when it comes to deer. Um, but I love the 243, and I believed in it. And I knew I needed to go to a bigger cartridge for more knockdown power. And the other flip side to it was it was bothering me how many dogs that I would see that would get out of there before I could break another shot on them. Now, mind you, this is all during daylight. This isn't even at nighttime yet where I start seeing way more numbers and seeing triples come in. And so I made up my mind that I wanted a 243 and, um, let me let me rewind just a little bit there because I had my 223 bolt gun and that happened and I I I told myself okay well I'm gonna buy me an AR-15 in 223 so I bought me a uh, a good AR and and I work hard for what I got I'm definitely not rich um, I'm just a firm believer in buy once cry once. So I did my research on my AR before I bought it, and it took me a good while saving up, but I brought, bought me a uh, primary weapon system, PWS, uh, which is a main competitor to LWRC. And I bought that because at the time of buying it, I was also thinking, you know, if, if shit ever hits the fan, I want a dependable, reliable gun. And so I did all my research on direct impingement versus piston-driven ARs, and the two main contenders for piston-driven on an AR-15 side of things, because AR-15 and two twenty three, you know, uh, there's always going to be a lot of two twenty three ammo out there. I just knew I wanted to buy a good AR-15, right. and so I bought a piston-driven PWS. Well, um, even being able to take multiple shots fast, I was still losing them because of the... Uh, 223 side of things and um so i got back on it and started researching and lo and behold i find out that dpms made a ar-10 
Um, now, mind you, technically the term AR-10 is the large platform AR, bigger than AR-15. Um, but the AR-10, I went with the DPMS, which is technically speaking an LR-308 platform. AR-10 is Armalite's large platform because everything is generic and standard on the AR-15 platform. Everything's cross-compatible. But when you step up to the large platform AR, you have two sides. You have the Armalite side, which is the AR-10, and then you have the DPMS large platform, which is all based off of LR-308. Anyhow, I did research and I found out DPMS made a 243 semi-automatic light gun and so i went out hunting for one um long story short i called over man i probably called over a hundred dealers and i found this random gun shop in greenville south carolina and he told me i can get a hold of one for you in two days and sure enough he got a hold of it for me in two days and i had a another reputable gun shop based out of charlotte here won't say any names they said they could have one for me in in a couple of days, and I waited two weeks on them, and they never got a hold of one. But sure enough, this guy got it. I bought it, and I go to town reloading and daytime hunting with that gun, and and my world changed, man. I mean, when I hit the coyotes, they were they were staying there for the most part. I would still make a bad shot, lose one here or there, but um, they would hit the ground. And, um, so I, you know, I, I pretty much drugged that out pretty, pretty heavy, but I'm not dead set on a bolt versus a gas gun. Uh, but what I prefer when it comes to nighttime predator hunting is a good, uh, gas gun chambered in something like a 243 or a six more. The 22 Creedmoor is another good option if you reload. Um, but as far as factory available ammunition, I would stick with a six Creed or a two forty three and a gas gun. Okay. And and your your preference and, and you run a gas gun now? Yes, sir. I run a uh, DNA firearm systems uh two forty three on my nighttime thermal and night vision gun and then I run a DNA firearm systems, um, six Creedmoor gas gun for my daytime setup. Well, neat. Okay. So, what's your? I, I, I don't know if it comes down to shooting discipline. What's your feelings on a newer person? Obviously, not with your shooting background, but. Um, I, I came into predator hunting with 20 years as a police officer carrying an AR platform for law enforcement purposes and still switched to a bolt gun. Part of my reason was I felt like a bolt gun made me be a better shooter. You have any, and, and you know, obviously the reason being the whole, uh, not going with the quantity over quality theory. Um, I found that when I shot less, I, I ended up putting more dogs. Made the shots count. I made the shots count. And I just, when I started predator hunting, I just shot too much. I would try to shoot dogs on the run instead of learning how to make them stop so I could shoot at them and have a higher probability. (laughs) Right. 
So do you, do you have any kind of opinions on, you know, people that are on the fence between bolt gun, gas gun, and the reasons behind it? Well, you know, just as it is in PRS, it's the same way in predator hunting. And 95% of the work is mental. It's, it's not the gear or the gun. And I, I do believe in the gas gun side of it. Don't have anything against bolt gun guys. Matter of fact, if I'm daytime hunting, I usually prefer to, to bring one of my good long-range bolt guns. But nighttime hunting, I definitely prefer a gas gun because uh, you're more inclined to have more dogs come in and need to get the shots off faster. And if they're running, be able to take the running shots. But with that said, you hit a key point there. You have to have, if you're running a gas gun, you have to have enough mental control to, let's say you have a double come in and they both stop and you shoot the first one well then the second one takes off running you you have to have enough mental control to not just start slinging rounds at it because you got a gas gun and you have the the freedom of being able to do it because 90 percent of the times he'll run on out there 100 yards or whatever and if you bark he'll stop right and turn around and look back and you can get a clean you got to be fast you can't just yeah. dwell on it take your time you got to be able to get on him and stable on your tripod and and get the shot but he'll give you a quick you know 10 second or five second pause where you can get a another shot and um i just like the gas gun aspect of it because it gives me time to it gives me time to analyze that dog running away's body language uh, essentially of of whether he just felt a bullet grazed the top of his back because it was a miss and there's no way ever he's going to stop and turn around and take another look and I need to go ahead and have the gas gun to lead him and shoot and see I was a little bit far behind and lead a little bit more and hopefully hit versus a double and you know, he knows something's wrong and he's running away, but he's, he's not so uncomfortable that he's not going to stop eventually and turn around and take the look. And, and the gas gun gives me the ability to, to shoot one dog or shoot and missing and be able to read his body language of whether I'm going to get another shot versus the time I'm going to lose racking that bolt and moving and not being able to stay on him and keep tracking him. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that does make sense. And that's, that's I, I guess I've never thought of it from that that angle, like maintaining your sight picture and stuff. And, and some of that, I think, goes back to what we were talking about with you in a previous episode of, of buying gear and buying once, crying once. Um, you know, lower-end gear, you're just happy to see that it's a coyote higher end gear you can actually learn the body language of the dog so like you said when when i when i shoot at a dog and and i miss which happens i can tell by their body language if its butt is tucked up underneath it and it's hauling the mail i know that dog's not going to turn around 
mm-hmm. at least at my skill level. I'm probably not going to get him to stop. He was probably grazed or something has got him motivated to get out of there at all cost. And I can tell that because the optic I'm running has such good quality that I know my options are limited. And my style is I'll come back another day and, and I'll get that dog another day instead of slinging a bunch of lead at it versus the dog that uh, seems startled, doesn't understand what happened. And I can probably get it to stop again. So yes, sir. Kind of goes back to the absolutely your equipment. Um, so yeah. Okay. So that kind of covers gas gun, bolt gun and, and caliber. Now, once you've selected what platform you're going to use, what caliber you're going to use, um, kind of walk us through what you, what you go through on recommending or your thought process on ammo. Um, because when we were talking a few months ago and setting up this podcast, I had a chance to talk to you real briefly on the phone and, and, uh, and when I mentioned that I, I run a, a six creed with uh, 103 grain ELDX, um, that horny precision hunter, um, and I expressed some of my concerns with, you know, formulating dope out at longer yardage and stuff. And you said, well, drop down to what I think it was a 75 grain Hornady. And you know, now, it's probably since you're shooting a six creed, it's, it's uh, I haven't paid attention extremely close i know the lightest bullet you can get in the six creed more right now factory ammo is a 70 grain nozzler and a lot of really good predator hunters such as kyle crickenberger uh colt minute um a bunch of those guys run um factory 70 grain nozzlers in their uh 243s but one of the big things i want to bring to the picture here is on a six creed more the factory 70 nozzlers that are available are flat based ballistic tip nozzlers and i'm sure we're going to have a lot of listeners here that might disagree with what i'm saying that but a a flat based ballistic tip nozzler is uh it's really explosive and that that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing but it's not what i would prefer nor would um, guys like Colt or Kyle Crickenberger because, um, you know, what the splash can lead to is if you make a perfect shot in the shoulders, um, that flat base 70, when it hits the shoulder and, and hits the, the hide on the side, it, it explodes. And a lot of the time, that bullet doesn't have the ability to to penetrate very deep before it explodes because you wanted to hit that shoulder, take out the shoulder, then explode internally and take out the heart and lungs or whatever, will you? Well, the flat base, just in, in my experiences, doesn't do a good job at that. Um, now, in 243 offerings, when you buy 70 grain, like the, the federal 70 grain uh, nozzle ammo, that's a 70 grain boat tail ballistic tip. And that bullet acts completely different. It penetrates more and explodes. Uh, when we were talking before, um, I wasn't aware if there were 75 VMAXs I, I just out there, there or 80, not. I just glanced up at the box. 87. 87 grain, yeah. The 87 VMAX. That's exactly it. That's what I thought I remember telling you to go to. And uh, I got some other good predator hunters that um, 
I mean, the Ruger Precision, like you shoot, is an extremely popular choice. I got quite a few other buddies in predator hunting. My good buddy Jeremy Blackman, um, he runs a six creed more Ruger Precision, and he tried jumping the bandwagon and went to an AR uh, 15 and 223, hated it, and like his confidence is in the bolt gun. And so I'm not going to tell anybody that, that, you know, you're crazy if you're not running a gas gun by no means. A lot of it comes down to what you're comfortable with and what you like running. Uh, where I would like to shed more advice to people is um, how these cartridges came about and what you need to consider on uh, choosing your caliber and choosing your bullets and things of that nature. Um, obviously, I'm a reloader. I, I reload all my ammo um just because i'm addicted to reload and i love it i just just got done dedicating the whole room into my house remodeling it for my reloading room um so i guess from this standpoint the the two main cartridges we're focused on are the 243 versus the six millimeter and um there's other cartridges out there that that don't end up having this much variation such as the 223 or um you know the 22 nozzler or the six and a half creedmoor um really in a gist what it comes down to is barrel twist and a six millimeter has such a broad range of of bullet weight that the barrel twist get get mixed up and I just want to go over this because it's kind of some good history and it'll make sense to a lot of guys. Um, one of my really good friends, his name's Brandon. He owns Blue Collar Reloading, uh, which I highly recommend any reloaders. Uh, check him out, man. He'll be awesome deal. Get a hold of any bullets or brass that you're wanting. So I buy all my reloading supplies through. Um, me and him were talking probably like, man man the way time flies i guess five years ago or four years ago the six creedmoor at the time was a wildcat it wasn't a sammy spec cartridge and i'd built my first um first prs gun on the six creedmoor platform which was a wildcat at the time I had to reload for it there was no factory ammo available and i was going to it and I stopped at Brandon's to buy some bullets and everything, and I told him this story. I'm like, dude, you know how the six and a half Creedmoor is just so popular, and everybody loves the six and a half Creedmoor for, and this is long range talking here, PRS and uh, not predator hunting so much. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, you mark my words, the six Creedmoor is going to end up, it's going to end up becoming a Sammy cartridge, and it's going to end up being popular for long range like. I see a point in time where the six Creedmoor is going to edge out the six and a half on popularity for PRS shooting. He's like, really, man? Like, explain that to me. Why? And I'm like, okay. And and once again, man, I, I'm no expert on anything. There's a lot of PRS shooters that I shoot with that are good predator hunters, too. One of my good buddies up in Virginia, I always shoot his match, uh, Brian Lewis. He runs Virginia Precision Rifle Club. Um, him and and Andy Slade. Brian's a big coyote hunter. 
And, uh, you know, as far as long-grain shooting goes, he knows long-grain shooting just as good, if not better, as me. So, um, you know, just feeding out my knowledge here. But back to Brandon and talking to him, I told him, be ready. It's going to be hot. I said, let me put you through some history, Brandon. The 243, a standard rifle that we have right now, and this is before the 6 Creedmoor came out, I said, the 243 has the potential to be one awesome long-range PRS gun. Um, and it is. In this day, it is. But you you have to build it yourself because there is no six, I mean, excuse me, there's no 243 offered with a one and eight twist barrel. And you need an eight twist barrel to be able to shoot the high ballistic coefficient bullets such as like the 103 ELDXs you were running and 105 Berger VLDs or 115 DTACs or or whatever Um, but you know I guess back stepping a little bit but we'll go back in history back in the late 50s or early 60s the main dominant 6 millimeter cartridge out there and it was designed for varmint hunting and things just like predator hunting nowadays was the six um six millimeter remington mm-hmm. and the six millimeter remington is still a awesome cartridge it it's faster than a 243 uh you have the ability to be faster than a six creedmoor with it it's a longer cartridge so it's harder to run in in uh magazine style short actions but the six millimeter Remington had the upper hand on the 243 as far as speed and everything goes. But when Remington designed that gun, they built that gun around a one and 12 twist barrel. Now, um, instead of speaking Spanish, I'll just, you know, explain that in a six millimeter cartridge, a one and 12 twist is only going to stabilize and be good with bullets up to, not to the dotted line, but roughly speaking around the maybe 80 grain or 85 grain Sierra uh, hollow point boat tail. And then any bullet heavier than that, it, it the barrel's not a fast, it won't stabilize the bullets. It won't shoot a good group because it won't stabilize the bullets. Well, then Winchester, like, five or ten years, I'm I'm not exactly sure on the years wise, they they bring out the two forty three Winchester, which is slower than the six millimeter Remington. But Winchester's big thing was they decided they were gonna build this cartridge around a one and ten twist barrel. Well, when they went to a one and ten twist barrel, that enabled what the six Remington is just a good prairie dog varmint hunting cartridge. Now it's got a one in 10 twist in the 243 Winchester. It can fully stabilize a hundred grain soft point bullets that'll work good for deer hunting. And so, um, shortly, shortly lived the 243 Winchester won the battle and became the dominant cartridge in the six millimeter Remington kind of went on the back burner it was still around it was still available but the 243 became the popular go-to cartridge well 
me growing up reloading and, and loving my factory 243s, they have one in 10 twist in them. I had one that had a one in like nine and an eight twist or whatever with the factory barrel, but they weren't fast enough twists to shoot really good long range bullets like the 105 Burger VLD or the 105 A Max back in the day or the 103 ELDX now. And so it was good for a hundred grain uh, partition or soft point style bullet, but about the heaviest long range bullet that it could stabilize was a 87 grain VMAX or 87 grain Burger VLD. So um, the six millimeter variant never got popular on the long range world unless you completely custom build a gun. Well, then Hornady thinks outside the box and just like i was telling my buddy brandon sure enough the six creedmoor gets adopted as a sammy spec cartridge factory ammo starts getting made for it and the six creedmoor comes out with a factory twist of a one and eight twist or a one and seven and a half twist Mm -hmm. and so the six creedmoor was designed for the long range shooters and they offer the factory ammunition with the high BC 103s and 108s and 105s and everything. And a six Creedmoor is one of my main choices in PRS shooting. I either shoot a six Creedmoor or I shoot a six Dasher. And I haven't been able to reload for the past four months because I moved and I've been redoing my reloading room. And um, I'm just glad that I have a six Creedmoor for the long range side of things because I was buying factory ammunition and still shooting halfway decent in matches because the factory ammo is good. Yeah. I mean, shooting all the way out to, I hit the mile target at big dog steel up in Ohio, uh, with factory ammo. And, uh, but you know, when it comes to predator hunting, there's two ways you can look at it. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to primarily focus on the average predator hunter that doesn't know ballistics or using drop reticles and using holdovers. And they just want a good all out flat shooting gun. Right. Um, your best option with the six Creed more factory one and eight twist, um, with factory available ammunition, the 87, like I told you, and that 87 is, the heavier you go with a bullet, the more kinetic energy it, it has. So the 103s you were shooting, they have more kinetic energy than the 87s. Right. But those 87s are going to fly a lot flatter for you. And therefore, if you don't have the range finder on the side of your nighttime coyote gun and yep. you're just taking a wild guess that he's at 300, you know, you're more likely to hit him with that 87 because it's flatter shooting. Um. So when I decipher and tell people, I get asked a bunch, six Creedmoor versus 243. Um, I'm an avid believer in the six Creedmoor. I, I love the six Creedmoor, like, especially since I'm a reloader and I build my own guns and I can build me a six Creedmoor with a one in 10 twist for nighttime predator hunting. Um, I would give the upper hand to the six Creedmoor. It's just a better more efficient case design cartridge but um that's because i'm a reloader right 
if you're not a reloader and you're going off the shelf ammunition, the 243 is a far better option um, for off the shelf guns and off the shelf ammo for predator hunting just because of the broad range of bullets that the 243 offers. You can go out there and you can buy factory ammo in 58 grain V Maxes, 55 grain nozzler ballistic tips. Um, you know, 65 Vmaxes. Uh, I mean, anywhere from 55 grains all the way up to 100 grains, you can buy factory ammo that's going to shoot great in the 243. And so that's why I would say the 243 is the go-to cartridge for the average coyote hunter. Um, there's some new cartridges that are in the works coming out. Uh, Sean at DNA. Um, like, uh, well, before I get into that, I'll, I'll ask you, um, have you heard about the new six millimeter arc? And there's a bunch of hype about it right now. Yeah. I've, I've seen some stuff about it, but honestly have no idea what it is, how it's developed or, or anything like that. Right. Well, I'll relate. You remember when the 224 Valkyrie came out a few years ago and I saw a bunch of predator hunters jump on that bandwagon. <laughs> Yeah, they jumped back off about as quick, didn't they? Some of them, some of them swear by it. But really? Okay. Yeah, Nosler came out with the 22 Nosler, and it's a pretty good cartridge. It's got really high pressure on the bolt face design because it uses the same bolt face as a standard 223. Um, well, Federal comes out with the 224 Valkyrie as competition to the Nosler. But long-range shooting is getting so popular in America right now. That's the whole reason the Six Creedmoor came out, and they have all the factory long-range bullets, factory-loaded ammo for it. Well, the Valkyrie was actually designed for the long-range side of things, and it was designed for shooting the heavier 22 projectiles, like 95-grain Sierras and 90 grain nozzlers it was designed for somebody in the small platform ar the ar-15 to be able to feel like they could shoot long range with it well that left a lot to be desired on the hunting side usually hunting predator hunting and long range are the opposite they're they're opposite to the to the contrary they're long range and predator hunting nighttime wise don't go hand in hand with one another i'll definitely give the upper hand as far as predator hunting goes to the 22 nozzler over the 224 valkyrie just because of factory available ammunition well now we got this new spike coming out the six millimeter arc and the six millimeter arc is gonna be a really good predator hunting round but um, the six millimeter arc, just like the 224 Valkyrie, just like the six Creedmoor, the, the, the new six millimeter arc is designed for the long range side of things. They come with a one and eight twist barrel and all the factory ammunition is the heavier, heavier bullets with the high ballistic coefficient for shooting 600 yards an ounce. It, it leaves a lot to be desired on the lighter bullets like the 70s and and the 87s and stuff. Oh, it'll shoot 87s great, but on the 70s and everything, 
because there's not going to be factory ammo available for it. And it's designed on a one and eight twist barrel because their main market they're going for it and the predator hunters, it's the long range shooters. Right. Well, that gun will be awesome with a one and 10 twist. And, um, you know, just for listeners out there, if they're interested in that gun or whatever, uh, I had the whole conversation with Sean and I mean, I, in the beginning, I'm like, dude, I think this will be an awesome cartridge, but there's two things left desired on the table. There's not going to be any factory ammo available in the lighter bullets that are good for predator hunting. And two, they come with a one and eight twist and it's better off with a one and 10 twist for nighttime predator hunting. And so Sean went into the work and, uh, he offers these guns in one and 10 twist. And he's got a ammo manufacturer that's going to offer factory available ammo for this cartridge uh, with 70 grains and the lighter bullets that are better for predator hunting at nighttime for your average shooter. Um, man, I, I hope I'm I hope I'm coming across to that to the average listener good. I'm, yeah. I hope I'm not confusing them. Nope, I, I, it it makes perfectly good sense, and I think it's a lot of things that people don't un- understand or even for me I didn't consider it so until you explain to me matching my bullet weight to the twist of my gun I didn't really put all those things together until you kind of explained the whole picture so I think what mm-hmm. you brought together at least for me helps put the whole picture together of everything you need to consider when choosing your caliber, your bullet weight, your twist, like putting, I don't want to say a match grade gun together, but putting a gun together that everything works the way it's supposed to ballistic wise. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think and, that's what's important and, and people need the information on it. You know, everybody's got an opinion on what, what, what bullet, what, you know, what they like. But I, what I like to do is, find somebody like you that has the data put the information out and let the person kind of draw their own conclusion um you know based on that yes sir absolutely and you know i'm pretty much basing this off of like i say factory available stuff something you can go put your hands on pick up off the shelf and pick the bullets up and go nighttime predator hunting now um i actually like uh I run, um, I currently right now I'm running 87s in my 243 and 87s will run fine in a one in 10 twist. Um, and I'm running 87s in mine. I, I told you, I recommended that to you because I knew that was the lightest good bullet available for you in the six Creedmoor with factory ammo offerings for predator hunting. Now, in the 243, what I what I recommend somebody to run the 87s when they have the option of running 70s or 58s. No, I'm going to tell them to go with the 58s or the 70s. And the main reason for that is speed. And when it comes to ballistics, uh, a high BC heavy bullet always wins in the long run, it's going to be flatter than your lighter 70 grain bullet. But, but 
you don't get to that fine line until you get to about 500 yards. And, you know, the average predator hunter isn't going to shoot past 300 yards most of the time. Right. And if you're shooting 300 yards and in, and especially if you don't have a silent co radius or a rangefinder mounted on the side of your gun, I know predator hunters want whatever's going to be shooting the flattest that it can shoot. When I have it sighted in at 100, I still want it to be able to hit a coyote size, you know, a, a coyote at 300. And the lighter, lighter bullets going faster are flatter, you know, inside of 500 yards. And the more you pay attention to ballistics, the more you'll realize, well, the 70s got the upper hand on the 58 when I get to 400 yards, but at 300 yards, the 58 still flatter than the 70. Right. And the farther out you get, the heavier bullet outweighs the lighter bullet. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, what I personally do, and it's giving away some secrets, man, but you know, I'm I'm just here to try to help your listeners and and fellow predator hunters become better and put more dogs on the ground um most people like to sight in dead on at 100 yards and there's nothing wrong with that but what i do is and it's not what i currently do actually what i currently do is completely different but I know the ballistics and the holdovers and certain things that the average guy is going to have a hard time wrapping his mind around. Um, But what I would do for your factory ammo guy that doesn't know ballistics good, I would pick a good lighter bullet, um, the lightest that you can shoot in your platform that you feel is adequate. That's a roundabout answer, but like, I like 58 grain V-Maxes, but I know a lot of good predator hunters that don't like the 58. They feel like they've lost a lot of dogs with it, and they feel like the 70 grain Nosler boat tail ballistic tip puts them on the ground better. Uh, that's not my experience, but, you know, everybody has their own experiences, and, and a lot of it comes down to the mental side of it, right. and it comes down to the confidence level. Um, but what I would recommend the average shooter shooting factory ammo to do would be sight in one and a half inches, an inch to an inch and a half high at a hundred and see with your, with your scopes and your guns, like, let's just talk, uh, all the different thermals adjust different amount per click, depending on what, mm-hmm. what power you're on and everything. But Let's talk from a day optic standpoint because everybody will get the gist of it. You got your normal scope that moves that moves your bullet a quarter of an inch for one click at a hundred yards. Well, that quarter of an inch at a hundred, when you go back to three hundred yards, a quarter MOA actually represents roughly three quarters of an inch at three hundred yards. And so the reason that that's somewhat important is if you sight in an inch high at 100 yards, ballistic-wise, no matter what cartridge you're shooting, you're raising your shot 
three inches higher at 300 yards. And when you do the math and you sight in an inch high at 100, you're taking three inches of drop and that bullet out on a coyote at 300 yards. And let's just say whatever you're shooting is eight inches low. If you sight it on dead on at 100, it's going to be eight inches low at 300 yards. Well, if you sight it in an inch high at 100, now it's only going to be five inches low at nice. 300 yards. And and you're you're flattening it out where you're more likely to hit that coyote. Um, and so that's what I would recommend the the average you know shooter do with the factory ammo sight in a little bit high. Um, at a hundred, and it's going to make up for itself at three hundred. Um, matter of fact, with my fifty eights and my hand loads, uh, when I sight in an inch and a half high at a hundred, it's only two inches low at three hundred yards. Now, bear in mind they're hand loads and they're going faster than factory ammo. Um, but with that said, the middle ground at about 220 yards i'm about two and a half inches high of where i'm aiming like wherever my crosshairs are if that coyote's at 220 yards my bullet's going to hit about two and a half inches higher than where i'm aiming but it's uh it's all a fun game here's another big big advice and uh the hats off and the credit goes to daniel wright DJ, big MFK hunter up out of Wisconsin. Me and him were talking one night, and Daniel was like, John, you know what I like to do? I like to put up a hand warmer or a piece of tin or whatever and shoot and get my zero at 100 yards. And then I'll just work my way back, and I'll take a few shots at 200 yards, and then I'll go back to the target. And then I'll put another hand warmer on where I hit or a piece of tin on where I hit. And then I'll go back to 200 yards and look with my thermal scope at where I was originally aiming versus where it hit. And I'll develop a memory in my head of where I should be holding in my reticle on my thermal for that distance. And you can do that as far back as you want. If you want to see you don't know ballistics and you don't have a clue on how much drop's going to happen at 400 yards. My best advice is get a good, good big piece of plywood and four by eight piece of plywood and turn it upright where you got eight feet up and down and make sure you got good bullet stop back in the background or whatever. Put your hand warmer on the piece of plywood and go back to 400 yards. Aim directly at that hand warmer and shoot three shots. Then go back to the piece of plywood and put another hand warmer in the central location of where your three shots hit and mount it to the piece of plywood. Then go back to 400 yards where you just shot, put your crosshairs right on the hand warmer you were originally aiming at, and then look in your reticle at where the hand warmer is for where your bullets we're actually truly hitting right. and that's going to give you a gauging point on what you should do at that distance if you need to take a shot at a coyote yeah that's neat that's a good idea 
Yeah, uh, like I say, all the credit goes to the DJ on that one. Uh, that's how he simply thought about it, and that's a great way of doing it. I, my mind's always mathematically working, and I'm running the mathematical numbers on how low it should be and vice versa. But that's a good, simple way to accurately figure out where you're at. And I think it's a matter of time, or hopefully a matter of time, until the thermal companies come out with an MOA reticle that you can... Right, and yeah, and the new, well, not new, um, as far as I'm aware, in the thermal market, uh, I've left feedback to Trigicon multiple times, like, come on, guys, uh, have y'all not come up with an update yet where you put a accurate first focal plane like MOA or mill reticle in your scopes and they've never done it. Well, um, the Halo LR, what you're using, they listen somewhat. Um, it's not first focal plane, but they do have an accurate holdover reticle. But when you go from your base magnification of three, like whatever was representing one MOA in your reticle when you zoom in to two power so you're actually on two times base mag of three you're on six power whatever was one MOA now represents half MOA then you zoom in again it cuts it in half again um, a first focal plane reticle stays accurate no matter what power it's on so the sub tensions always stay accurate and as far as I'm aware, right now, the only thermal manufacturer that offers a true first focal plane reticle is the Pulsar Thermion series. The uh, One of my good buddies, uh, he bought an XP50 Thermion recently, and I love the fact that the subtensions were accurate on it because, I mean... I feed off of that, man. I, yeah. I I know exactly how much to hold over for a 600-yard shot accurately now, which is hard for me to do with my Trigicon 60 millimeters. Right. Um, and and now... Zoom? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, okay. it stays accurate on, on the Pulsar. It stays accurate. Like, when you zoom in... Your first subtension, I, I don't have the manual in front of me, but let's just say the first subtension was 0.5 mils. Yep. When you zoom in, it's the first subtension still 0.5 mils. You zoom in uh -huh. again, and the reticle grows in size. It doesn't stay the same size every time you zoom in. As you zoom in, the reticle gets bigger, and the reason it gets bigger is because it's staying accurate to what it truly represents. Gotcha. Well, neat. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just waiting for a, a good, affordable clip-on thermal, man. And, and then I'll be running a, a day optic with um, a, a first focal plane day optic and be able to accurately use the sub-tensions. Um, I just, uh, I've got a lot of experience in that just from shooting PRS matches, a lot of the stages in PRS, you, you, you don't have to, but you end up needing to use holdovers with the reticle instead of actually dialing your true dope because, um, because 
there's just not enough time on the clock to accurately dial it every time. Right. And, you know, this is one of the things I'll go back to, and uh, I'll tell you on night vision versus thermal. Um, I still, to this day, I definitely love thermal and how much faster, I mean, it just, a coyote shows itself immediately through thermal, where night vision, you still, you know, you spot him with thermal and you still got to hunt him down with the night vision to shoot him. But one of the biggest things I love about night vision is the sub tensions and everything in night vision um, thus far have been more accurate than they are in thermal. And I've definitely been able to make farther shots at nighttime coyote hunting with night vision more accurately than I have with thermal. That's not to say I haven't killed some or hit some just as far with thermal, but there was more of a guessing game with the thermal than there was with my night vision. Absolutely. And do you think that's because you're looking through glass versus a digital screen? No, no, not so much that. It's just, uh, you know, night vision, there is no variable in power. The power always is one set power, whatever the base magnification, optical magnification is on the night vision. And my night vision clips are six power. And, uh, and, you know, the subtensions just stay accurate. And I remember there was one stand a couple years ago, and um, me and my partner were hunting, and there was just one coyote that was dead locked up at 400 yards, and it was facing straight on towards us. And um, I was using my night vision. I'm like, okay, dude, I, I feel really confident i can hit him dude i i need to hold two mils and he's actually like 1.8 mils or whatever but i knew what i needed to hold and and i took the shot and i put it on his head and went out there and i hit that sucker in the head which a bunch of that's luck like i'm it's not skill it's luck and but i hit him in the head at 450 yards and and i mean i if I have to choose between night vision and thermal currently with what gear I have, my 60 millimeter Trigicon versus my D760 Gen 3 night vision, and I have to take a shot at a coyote at 450 or 500 yards, um, there's no doubt I'll, I'll choose my night vision. I just I have more confidence and feel like it's more accurate on, yeah. on taking that shot. Yeah, well, that makes sense. But that's probably if I carry that night, thing. yeah, it is. And but if I carry my night vision, I also know there's a lot of potential coyotes that I'm going to kill way faster with thermal that I won't kill using the night vision just because of having to find them, you know, in the night vision versus the thermal. Right. Well, and I always tell people, I think, at least for getting started, if you're not going to carry, you know, I carry a a thermal for scanning, um, an XP-50 Helion 2, 
and then of course my Halo LR on my gun. Now I don't carry a scanner out in the field. I, I'm kind of the opposite of most people. I scan off my gun, but um, I tell people if if you you have a, a limited budget or you're trying to get a scanner and a um, gun optic, I think the best setup is to be able to scan with a thermal and still shoot with night vision. And it kind of teaches you yes, sir. the best of both worlds and, and you can watch the dog come in and, and, uh, and everything on your thermal and, and you don't necessarily have to transition until you're within shooting range and it buys you a little bit of time for the transition time. I know when I used to do that, uh, I'd scan with night vision, a PBS 14 with a magnifier and then I had night vision on my gun. I would lose some dogs initially in the transition. I'd wear it on a cry cap and when I flipped my 14 up, and went to my gun, I would have a little trouble refinding it, but um, just a little bit of time took that away, and and it got pretty seamless. But that I think that's the best setup if if uh, the budget allows. Absolutely, a thermal scan. Absolutely, and yes, sir. That's the same thing. I I tra- like that's what that's what makes it so hard for me to go away from thermal now. Is just I'm scanning with my Helion XP50, same thing, and spot the dogs and then i transition to my thermal scope and i mean they just pop immediately there is no there is no couple second delay on finding them um whereas night vision you know you got that couple seconds finding them but that brings up another good point and if i'm talking to somebody that's just you know uh, doesn't have uh, just you know uptight got a big family whatever there's just no way they can pull financing um you know a scanner and a good scope um honestly in true honesty what i tell those people is my best recommendation to you would be to buy a good scanner a good monocular that that you can scan with good and then wait until those coyotes get in good close range and use the light like yeah you know that coyote's at 150 yards light him up but make sure he's in close and watch him good with the thermal and then when he's in shooting range be ready to take the shot pretty decently fast but flip the light switch and light him up with a sniper hog light or whatever light you're using and light him up and take the shot and I still would give that hunter the upper hand over, definitely the upper hand over somebody just scanning with light the whole time. Oh, absolutely. And it kind of goes back to my saying of you, you can't shoot at what you can't see. It, a lot of when you, you know, I always, I always say too that I, I learn from every stand. So there's a lot of value in seeing what that coyote is doing and what his body language is doing as he's coming in. So if you, if you change mm-hmm. up your sound and it slows the dog down or hinks him up, you have to be able to see that through your thermal. And if you can't see yep. what he's doing when he's coming in and be able to manipulate his behavior to draw him in close and draw him in where you want him, the whole stand's kind of for nothing. Like you may end up spooking the dog and scaring him off. You never knew it because you couldn't see him. So yeah, I think people underestimate the value in being able to see the dog from a ways out, watch him come in. And stay on that scanner until he's well within shooting range. You know, there's there's no mm-hmm. use in switching to the gun outside of the range of the optic on the gun. So, yeah. Yes, sir. 
all brings for up sure. Good points. Hey, you know, some people might call me crazy for this too. Um, a lot of the times, if I'm hunting solo, um, and I have two dogs or three dogs or whatever coming in, um, and they're coming in at different paces, and and what I mean by saying that is they're they're spread out. They're not right there in a group coming in together. Uh, I usually personally focus on the farther dog first. Now I'm not telling you if I have one at a hundred and one at 200 and another one at 500 i'm gonna shoot at 500 first right. i'll shoot at that 200 first but i oftentimes shoot at the the, the most reasonable distance further dog yep. i'll shoot them first because it gives the closer dogs more time running away to be more likely to stop for another yeah. shot absolutely i do the exact same thing and i've had ones where you know shooting suppressed I've had dogs have come in, and I, and when I have a situation like that, I always try to let the call play to cover up the sound of my shot. But they're obviously going to hear that bullet hitting the dog if it's close mm-hmm. to them. And a lot of times I've had that. I've taken a long poke at, you know, 300 yards at the second dog. The first one's, you know, at 200, and it's actually drove the 200-yard dog in closer. Closer. Because yeah, all he heard was absolutely. the thump from his buddy behind him right behind him yeah behind him and perceived threat and scooted him while he's trying to figure out what's going on it actually drove him in closer and then i'm able to yes sir and now i I just made my 200 yard shot 100 yard shot so yeah that's a good point and that plays out in my experience on doubles um, i hunt alone a lot and i'm i've been lucky to be able to pick up doubles fairly often using that and it plays out to my advantage about 50% of the time. About half the time, it, it greatly helps. But either way, like you said, it doesn't hurt because it, it buys you whatever the distance between the two dogs is. It buys you that much of a buffer. And if you made the second shot, it gives you the confidence as long as the first dog doesn't run past them. I just made that shot. I can do it again. Yeah, or whatever. I mean, this dog's closer. It's an easier shot. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, a lot. Uh, uh, once again, same thing is. PRS long range shooting, ninety five percent of it is a mental game. It's just like golf. It's it's yeah. it's having confidence when you pull the trigger, um, being steady, getting ready to take the shot. Um, you know, another good uh, good thing to talk about on this is uh, you know definitely buy the best tripod setup that you can afford. I mean. I do feel like there's a you get to a point where there's some overpriced tripods, but I mean a good tripod's worth its weight in gold on how much of a difference it makes on getting steady fast. Absolutely, a good tripod, ball head, kind of how everything welds to your tripod. Don't you agree? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean all the components under your gun are what make up your solid platform. So you don't want to go out and buy a, the best the best uh, tripod there is and then stick some little 30-millimeter ball head on it that is meant to hold a camera and expect it to be, mm-hmm. you know, everything kind of has to be matched and, you know, solid foundation right. underneath it. Yep. Yeah. And Cameron, he has a wide range of, of good setups there. Um, yep. For sure. Uh, you know, I... 
I run the Fiesel, uh Creek Tack 4375 with a uh, TL3, really right stuff, TL3 leveling basin. And I love it. Um, I mean, I, I have great confidence in that setup. And, you know, it's just wild how it transitions from hunting to PRS. Some of the PRS matches have tripod stages. And I watch a fair amount of guys get intimidated by tripod stages. And, you know, I, I it, it's hard for me to see where they're coming from because I'm not in their shoes. Right. But at the same time, I do realize that I just have a lot more hours behind a tripod <laughs> setup than they do. So I'm way more comfortable on it. Um, but a, a good tripod's worth its weight in gold. I mean, uh, like, I, I still to this day, I still remember when hog saddles came out and everything. And, yep. I mean, you just, you couldn't pay me to run a hog saddle, man. Like, I just. I've shot off of them before, and I don't feel the stability in those setups. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of any of the, the clamp style. I, I know guys that run them and, and like them, but I often wonder in the back of my head if they like them because they've never tried a direct mount setup either. What's your setup? What are you running? So I, I run a 70-millimeter uh, Cretac ball head, and then I still run – I just run – the slick 700 tripod. Um, but right. I've kind of got a backwards theory on, you know, you know everybody goes for um, light, light, light. Yeah. So I got a, I got a really nice um, Fiesel. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, carbon fiber setup. Got it from Cameron. And uh, I, I didn't really care for it because I, I run my RPR and it's a big, heavy bolt gun. Um, and what I was noticing with the carbon fiber legs is I was getting a little bit of flex on it flex. and I just didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was as rigid, but people pick up my setup and think, my God, you're lugging around like 20 pounds. I prefer a heavy gun. I prefer heavy legs, you know, everything, um, really ri- like you said, a solid foundation. And I feel like the more solid the foundation you do pick up some weight with that, but I just, I really like how my gun's set up and you know, I, I do power lifting. Like I, I'm used to just kind of lugging around heavy stuff. So I don't mind it. I throw it over my shoulder at the truck and walk in with everything as one piece and, and have no uh, worries about that gun falling off my tripod. Um, and I just think that for me, that weight helps me pick up some accuracy. And when I've tried to shoot yes, sir. other people's lighter guns, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a sharp shooter to start with. So I need every little bit of advantage I can. So I feel like running a heavy setup gives me a little bit of an advantage. It's kind of the opposite of what other people do, but kind of goes back to, to do what, what works for you. So what I run, I'm not sure I would suggest. I think the average person would get tired of lugging it around, especially if they do it, you know, four or five nights a week. But for me, it works. Right. And, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there, too. Um, when it comes to coyote hunting, I definitely try to save weight wherever I can. I'm a, I'm a small dude. I'm, like, five foot nine and 140 pounds. And, you know, 
a heavy gun and a heavy pack and a call and everything adds up. Matter of fact, a, a bunch of my buddies, John Paul, 704 Outdoors, and a couple other guys, they give me a hard time because they see how much I huff and puff when I'm dragging a coyote <laughs> across the field a long ways. And, uh, you know, I, I prefer a light setup, but you hit the nail on the head there because, like, a heavy gun and and, and weight, it, it has its sacrifices that you have to make, which is the extra load and stuff carrying it. Yep. But heavier usually ends up meaning way more stable. And that's the name of the game in PRS. I mean, I have some buddies that are running guns that would pull me to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean that weigh 30 something pounds. I mean, like, I can't even manhandle them fast enough. Um, but, I mean, when those guys shoot, the gun doesn't even move because it's so heavy. Yeah. And, and for me, that gives me some confidence. So, you know, I'm still learning from every stand I do and every shot I take. So over time, you know, I've been doing this for eight years now. Over time, I might start lightening the load a little bit as my skill level increases. But right now, I feel like my skill level is at a level that I need a big, heavy, stable platform and gun and, you know, shoot off of. So, but yes, sir, it, it works. You know, that's right. And, you know, I guess. And the main point on this, uh, this talk here about longer shots and everything, um, uh, I, I definitely want to add that a heavier bullet, a heavier bullet has more drop than a lighter bullet. But just the physics behind everything, a heavier bullet is also affected by the wind less than a lighter bullet. So that lighter bullet has less elevation change, but it's going to have more wind drift. Yeah. And so that's important to bear in mind, especially some of the nights that we get out there in the winter months or whatever here in North Carolina, the night's a calm night. But, you know, a lot of the times those really good predator hunting nights where you're chasing the, the, uh, the beginning of a, a big front coming in and, all the pressures are changing and those dogs are getting active because they can sense that storm coming the next day. The wind will be, will be blowing a little bit, you know, five, eight miles an hour. And when you take that shot, aiming at that coyote's shoulder at 300 yards and it hits him on back in the middle of the guts or whatever. And you wonder, well, dang, man, I thought my gun was more accurate than that the wind affects it and it it does and and uh that's a big pointer there and you know from there if if i was to advise a new hunter just getting into the game on a good setup to start off with that doesn't break the bank i would probably recommend um i would probably recommend somebody go bomb because you can always advance and and sell it and move up. I would I would recommend uh, uh, Ruger American Hunter or something like that and a bolt gun. It's not extremely expensive, and I would go with that gun and uh, 243 or a 22 250 um, cartridge and 
go make some dogs eat the dirt. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so as as we kind of wrap up here, you, you kind of summarized the stuff really well. We we touched on a on a whole bunch of a different um, a different things. The the one thing in, in wrapping up, I wanted to kind of touch base on is is um, you've obviously been doing this a while. You've established some really good connections. Um, who I, I like to use referrals for stuff. Like I I buy stuff from people I I um, I can kind of vouch for. I know for for optics, I use uh, Cameron Gonder at Thermal Optics Plus for everything, just because I've known Cameron for a long time and. He's just got amazing customer service, as I've said before and stuff. Um, but as far as, um, you know, uh, finding your, your ammunition, you know, buying a gun. I know you work with the guys at DNA. Um, I know those aren't going to be in the price point of somebody just getting started. Um, but it, who who are the kind of the, the people that you've worked with that, we can steer some people to that that they're they're not going to go wrong. Um, definitely Cameron on the optics. I buy everything, my day scopes for PRS shooting, and all my night vision and thermal gear from Cameron. And if he doesn't have it, he'll go out of his way to get it for me. Yep. Um, he's just awesome. Buy all my tripods and I mean all that stuff from Cameron, and then. My guns, um, like I say, when I first started off in the AR side of things, I bought a uh, factory DPMF and 243. Uh, Remington made the Remington R25 in 243, 7mm 08, 260, and 308. They discontinued that, but they offered that in the 243. And the Remington R25 is it's a rebadged DPMS. It's a DPMS gun. Um, you know, as far as who to buy the factory guns from, um, you know, I just recommend doing your homework, getting on gun brokers, seeing where you can find the best deal, um, and and go from there. Get it shipped to your local FFL, or um, more importantly, develop those close relationships with with your small town community guys you know start hanging out at the pawn shop and develop a relationship with the owner that sells guns there the local gun shop and develop a good relationship with them and they'll give you a good deal on the gun um that's actually right now currently where we stand in america uh, a big thing that that i emphasize is support local um not corporate and um from there you know if you're looking for a custom gun um, that's tailored to the T on your needs, uh, definitely pick up the phone and give Sean at DNA Firearm Systems a call. He can build you a, a Hammer 243 or 6 Creedmoor with a 1 in 10 twist or the new 6 millimeter arc with a 1 in 10 twist and hook you up with the ammo manufacturer he's dealing with on good loads for coyote hunting specifically and um those certain calibers and then if you're a reloader such as i am myself you know he can custom tailor you a gun um 
uh, with the twist that you want and and everything from there they're 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 not cheap but you know you get what you pay for and um you know i use sean for for uh, he does most of my custom work for my prs guns and and things of that nature too and um he he has i mean he he's ocd as can be man he's <laughs> uh a attention to the last detail uh he's really big in stair coach too he loves giving that customer their personal touch on their flavor of exactly what color they want and i mean i've been down there in a shop helping him and uh i mean about beating my head against the wall because he's so ocd on it i'll watch him get 75 percent of the way done with a customer's done and there's just a, a certain line or something in the Cerakote pattern that, that he's not satisfied with. And I'll watch him turn around and completely sandblast that thing over and start it from scratch. Like he'll throw six hours out the window like that and start right back over to, to make sure they, they get exactly what they want. Now with that said, I mean, he has some pretty, pretty long lead times currently um but uh, part of the reason he's got those long lead times is because of the attention to detail and um it's just you know it is what it is well uh one man with the helper can only can only build so many guns in a day so and there's plenty of other good gun companies out there that that build awesome bolt guns and stuff too you know um I like Sean because of just uh, my dealings with him. That's not to say that there's not somebody else. You know what I mean? I'm just sharing my personal experiences. And once again, to all your listeners, I'm by no means an expert. I'm never an expert on anything in life because, I mean, I do clearing and grading for a living, been doing it for uh, 17 years now and every day I learn something new and every coyote stand I do I learn something new every PRS match I learn something new and life isn't about what you currently know it's about constantly keeping your mind open and looking at doors that you're walking by to to keep on learning there's there's always somebody above you that you can learn from Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do here with this podcast. So we, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time to to do these episodes that we can pick your brain and, and learn from somebody like you with your experience. So uh, I, kn- I know we ran this one over our, our usual time, but I think it was time well spent and definitely worth it. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to help us out and, and get that information out there. You bet, Jeff. I greatly appreciate you having me on the podcast. And anything in the future, just reach out, man. I'm here. We'll do. If uh, we'll probably take you up on that here after a bit for for another episode. But thank you very much. Yes, sir, Jeff. You have a good evening. You too.